Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Truth Talks in 2024. This is my actual first recording in 2024. I'm very excited. I have a good friend with me today. Actually, we have only known each other for a couple of years, but uh, I met Jordash through uh, Third Education Revolution. So today we are welcoming Dr. Jordash Kithiak. And thank you for being here, Jordash. We're very excited. We're going to talk a little bit about you and your background. And you have a new book that we really want to spend some time on. And it's called Jesus and Sodom, which is uh, quite an interesting title. Same-sex sexuality through the Messiah's merciful eyes. I love the title. Mm. So welcome. And it's such a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate you uh, inviting me in and and appreciate the friendship as well. Thank you. Thank, and let's talk a little bit about your background uh, and passion and your expertise in this area because I think it, people really need to understand um, why someone like you, you're a professor, um, would write such a, a manuscript so as, the book hasn't been published yet am i right that's right it's just that's right. it's in the manuscript form so we we're getting uh kind of a bird's eye view very early on this is exciting so tell us about you uh dr kithiak so you know i grew up in a christian family and my parents had been um missionaries actually in africa uh, and I came to faith pretty young and with some ups and downs, then became quite committed to, to Jesus when I was a teenager. But then in university, um, I got in, into some classes that threw some darts my way and some questions, uh, studying the rationalists, uh, Descartes and, and other things. And I stepped away from calling myself a Christian and, um, got just, just, you know, had, had a difficult time and really had a difficult time with my faith. I did do some directed readings on the historical Jesus. So at the university I was at, there were no religious courses or courses about early Christianity, but I took this directed readings course and started to learn how people try to, especially those who don't come at Jesus with faith, how they try to understand who he is and try to construct a persona for him and, and, and understand him in their own framework. Um, these were the days of the Jesus seminar in the 1990s where people like Dominic Crossan, Marcus Borg, uh, and others were really uh, in the limelight talking about Jesus, but certainly not presenting him as the person that we know him from historic Christianity and, and what, what is true about him. Um, eventually, I did come back to faith. And I'm very thankful to God for that. I praise God for that. And uh, I, you know, one of the, the key questions for me was, did he come back from the dead? And, and I was convinced eventually that, yes, this, this is something we can definitely believe. And that started me on a path in a couple of directions, or, or in one direction in a couple of ways. One, the direction is studying the New Testament and the Old Testament uh, as an academic. So I ended up learning Greek and Hebrew. I've taught Greek and Hebrew. I've taught Aramaic. Uh, I ended up living in Israel for about eight and a half years. I did a postdoc at the University of Zurich in Switzerland eventually after I got my PhD at the Hebrew University in, in Jerusalem in Israel. Uh, um, just a minute. Along the way, the I, other just, I just want to tell, 
tell my audience, don't get intimidated by all of these credentials. Jordan Ash is just who you see him to be, but it's awesome how God has led you. I just wanted to, uh, uh, to really applaud all the work you have done to mm. come to this point in your life. Go ahead, Jordash. Thanks so much, Anne. And, you know, the other part was I started really um, trying to understand Jesus. This has been a big theme in my life, trying to understand him in Israel. I, it was my dream, and one year to go there just for a year and study. And the way that God allowed me to do it, I ended up living there for over eight years and um, had all of my needs taken care of. He's very gracious. And I got to study Jesus in his Jewish context. And so when we come to the question of homosexuality and what did Jesus, how can we understand Jesus's take on sexuality and homosexuality in particular, I was in a sense uniquely fitted for the task because I had spent a lot of time trying to understand Jesus's teachings in many ways in its Jewish context. That's it's amazing. What an opportunity. And so eight years of study there, eight years. Did you teach there as well? You said Hebrew and yeah. yeah I, I taught Hebrew there primarily. Uh, sorry, I taught Greek there primarily, but I did also teach Hebrew there for people coming from abroad. Wow. Wow. And then you moved back to Canada and you uh, right back to Vancouver where you are now or? Actually, my wife and I, we first we moved to Victoria. We were there for two years. So I was near to Bruce Friesen. It was a, a nice time being in Victoria. And then we moved to Vancouver and um, we we ended up at uh, a Mennonite Brethren Church. Um, we prayed about it. We felt led to this church and uh, the church itself. And I didn't really want to go because they were having this whole discussion around would they embrace homosexuality? Uh, and uh, yes, it's in all kinds of denominations in, in, in North America, especially in Canada, right? And so when we were at that church, um, that's when I really felt the Lord calling me to speak out and say, you know, are you going to, I've gifted you, I've equipped you, are you going to speak about this topic or are you going to be silent? And uh, thankfully, thankfully, by his mercy, I was able to start to speak. But it's a daunting thing to get involved in because you recognize, I mean, it's changed the course of my life. Uh, to open my mouth in that small congregation eventually meant many, many changes for me. And it's been difficult, but I think in the end, to know Jesus's true heart and his true design for his desire for us and, and God's design for humanity is worth it. And it's worth it if it helps other people find hope and promise and freedom. I think what you're talking about, um, I certainly recognize this, this, um, it's almost like compulsion and, um, you know, that fire within you, you know, uh, the, the fact that if I try to be quiet, if I try to keep my mouth closed, is is it Jeremiah that says that? I think that's right. I, I think so. Yeah. If I try not to speak of this, this fire comes and I can't, I can't shut it down because if I don't speak of it, it just makes me feel really awful. And yet if I talk about this, there's so many consequences. And this is the subject of... Um, of our age, I believe, and and uh, the this and all everything connected to gender and sexuality, so it comes with a huge cost to speak out, and and that is um, 
I, I applaud you for choosing to speak out, but I also know that the cost is high. And in the midst of all of that, you, uh, you wrote this book. And I think uh, this is going to be a phenomenal work and a phenomenal help to the Christian community and to other professors like yourself, I hope academics particularly. So why don't, why don't we uh, talk about your book? Um, so I talked about the title, Jesus and Sodom, Same-Sex Sexuality Through the Messiah's Merciful Eyes. And you start by kind of setting the stage um, with Jesus' penitent for mercy. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it, I almost should go autobiographical, even though we're starting to talk about, I will, you know, just before telling you about the contents of that chapter, uh, he, I mentioned how I had stepped away from calling myself a Christian for a number of years, uh, for four to five years. Um, but also during my PhD, I have to say that there are many ways where I started getting closer to the world. And, um, I hate to say, I, I mean, I, I, I don't enjoy remembering it. I'm happy to say it in the sense that confession is really good. But um, midway through my PhD, I, I, one of my supervisors switched. And this is a man who I knew professed to be a Christian, but did not worship Jesus. And I willingly took him on as my second advisor. And not just that, but I got involved in table fellowship with him and stayed at his house and one time went to his church. And then end up that at his church, their their main pastor or priest was was a gay man, and so I was there, and I actually took communion in that service, all because I had gotten so not that I believed that it was right. I didn't. I I never came to the place. I got woke. Okay, I became woke in a sense. <laughs> uh, I was in that world because of the academic world. It's very very mixed. Uh, who is truly a Christian? Who is not a Christian? And, um, but I let myself get compromised socially in so many ways in fellowship that I ended up doing things out of, uh, you remember how, um, Herod Antipas has all his, his, uh, people there in the galley that have come for this big meal for his birthday. And then he makes this oath to, uh, Herodias's daughter that I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And she asks for John the Baptist's head. Now, it wasn't as dramatic as that for me, but I was in, su in such pressure from the situation that I decided I'm not, I should have gone to the bathroom. I should have said I'm out of here. I should have said whatever, but I ended up going up for communion and I regret it. But that is just to show you that in my own life, the Lord had to do such a cleaning in me to say, I want you to speak on this topic, but I also want you to be very honest about where you've come from. And uh, my sort of invitation is to other academics is if you found yourself compromised in ways that you never thought you would, when you got into uh, academics, especially on, on the biblical ac academics, whether that's archaeology or languages or whatever, we, repentance is really the door to, to new life and to fruitfulness. If you see that your life isn't as fruitful as you'd like, and I certainly did see that, then it's actually the door of repentance that will bring you to a more meaningful life. I'm doing more meaningful research than I've ever done. My PhD was okay. You know, it's a big book. It was okay. But the book that I'm writing now is much more meaningful, much more helpful. So that's his mercy in my life. And, and when, I, when I look at chapter, the first chapter on his mercy, what I see about Jesus is there's many things he could have done. He could easily have just let everyone know where they were all at. And it would have been just 
and it would have even he could have even said it in a kind way you know all of y'all <laughs> have really just uh turn up your nose to god and are walking in, in the wrong way and that would have been fair in many ways to say it but it's only by his mercy by walking around in the galilee often not being received well uh, at times being really disrespected yet he healed everyone who came to him and and there's throngs of people that came to him we have to imagine that some of those people were probably people that were somewhat indifferent towards him or perhaps even relatives of those who were his opponents. Uh, but he had no qualms about receiving it. He would have a meal with anybody, even uh, Pharisees who were antagonists towards him. He would still in, uh, receive an invitation to have a meal and have a conversation and try to win them over. Um, there's only one person he never uh, spoke with, uh, and that is actually Herod Antipas. And, and my, my guess there, this is not in the book, my guess is that uh, that's because he had killed John the Baptist and he'd already received a sufficient witness in his life. So when he was brought to him in, in trial, he didn't open his mouth. Um, I kind but, of like, but yeah, uh, I like what you first said, you know, Jesus could have gone <laughs> like this. And sometimes I wish he had, a, you know, very pointedly. Um, yet, his his root was always, like you said, merciful and kind, the kindness and but challenging. He didn't step away from the hard things. He just used, well, for instance, the woman caught in adultery, how he handled the situation. I think God give me grace because sometimes I just want to bang heads together to be totally honest sometimes. I'm like, don't you get this? Don't you see this? This is what's in the word. And and Jesus was just so, so kind and so forgiving and yet uncompromising. I mean, it's it's amazing who who is like him, right? Who even his friends denied him, ran away from him, and he had such mercy on everybody. I don't know how his heart is that big that he could embrace everybody. He's and God. He really does without compromising the truth. Yeah, he's God. And he he deserves our worship. So um he valued the scriptures extremely highly. And especially on sex and marriage. I mean, he didn't uh, shy away from that topic. And he agreed um very much with his ancestors, you know, uh, the Jewish uh, uh faith and their perception. So talk a little bit about that, Jesus and sexuality and marriage, because in our day and age, we are in, uh, we have a culture is in this, um, it's like a vortex, you know, there's so much swirling around them and, you know, pick this, pick this, pick this. And, and it's like, I just feel the weight and the heaviness of the sorrow of our culture. I I just feel sometimes um, it was so much easier in our generation. Things were cut and dried, so to speak. You know, you uh, even for non-believers, because I didn't grow up in the church, um, but came to faith about age of eighteen. I still had this uh, very deep sense of morality that kind of came from my parents. 
and right and wrong, good and evil, all of those things. And those were great boundaries for me. Uh, and then when I came to faith, I saw where all of those things actually originated apart from. I'm like, wow, you know, it's all there. So what does Jesus say? You know, he, he, um, it's surprising. He, he believed there was an Adam and an Eve, for example, that is something that may take modern people's breath away, but he really did. And, um, he believe, believed that God had created humans in his image. And he also understood marriage to be not just something where the, the text in Genesis 2 says um, that a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his one and, and the two become one. Or sorry, and, and Jesus says the two become one, but he also says what God joins together, let no one separate. And so he really makes it clear that for him, when people get to, when a man and woman get married, uh, this is something that God does. It's not just a human event. And so he, he elevates it to a very high level. And in fact, and he's more um, restrictive around marriage than any of his contemporaries. We know of the two rabbinic schools around the time of Jesus, uh, schools meaning uh, uh, groups of thought. Uh, there's the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. Hillel was more lenient in a sense or, or liberal in saying you can get divorced for pretty much any reason, burnt toast, whatever. Uh, and Shammai was saying, no, 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 this bit that we're discussing in, in Deuteronomy, it, it actually is per ervat devau, the nakedness of a thing. That phrase refers to it. The reason why it's saying the nakedness of a thing is because it's referring to sexual immorality. Jesus agreed with Shammai, but he was even more stringent in saying that he wouldn't recognize a divorce that had a, a divorce certificate that had been given for no fault divorce. He says, if someone receives that kind of a, div a divorce certificate, it's invalid. And therefore, any marriage that occurs after that is itself now adultery. And so he raises the bar so high that um, that it's higher than any other teacher we know of in his day. He really is on his own in that. And one more thing to bear in mind is that uh, Jews didn't agree on a lot of things in Jesus' day. There wasn't a lot of agreement. There was a, a few things they agreed on, for example, that, that God had made a covenant with Abraham, that the land was given to the Jewish people. The five books of Moses, they didn't agree on all the books. For example, the Sadducees only received the five books of Moses as, as true uh, uh, from God as scripture. And uh, they also all agreed on sexual immorality. And this is how this works. It's very fascinating when you, when you study it. Jews across the board, Philo, Josephus, all kinds of Jews around the Mediterranean in the Roman Empire, including, including the land of Israel, would say, Gentiles engage in sexual immorality, and we do not. And that's what makes us Jews. And we know this because of texts like Leviticus 18 and 20. And when you see those lists that are in there, you can't sleep with your mother, your father, with different... There's many, many uh, parameters set for incest. And in those lists is also homosexuality. And this was one of the uh, topics that ancient Jews would say, we're not Gentiles who practice same-sex sexuality. That's not us. We don't do that. And so simply having that knowledge and hearing Jesus teach on marriage would be ample evidence to know that he also did not accept same-sex sexuality as something from God. When you were talking about Jesus' high standards, um, for marriage and uh, his parameters around divorce. I was thinking about 
how that might discourage some people from embracing Christianity if they have had, um, you know, they've been divorced maybe more than once, you know, um, and they perhaps had stepped outside their marriage or there's other circumstances. Um, but, or maybe they had a no-fault divorce, right? Which we are now allowed for years in Canada, many years. And then they come to Christ. Uh, what, what about then? What do those people, or perhaps they already had been serving Christ and they still went through all of that. And yet they were not, um, they chose divorce in in a way to deal with their situation. And I'm not talking about uh, someone who's uh, in an adulterous marriage, but because of Jesus' high standards, sometimes people go, I just, I don't want to hear that because it implicates me. How would Jesus, do you think, deal with that person? I believe he's incredibly merciful to the individual and and I have experienced his mercy um, and uh, and his fellowship is sweeter than than any friendship I have on this earth it really is even if everyone were to fate forsake me I would have confidence because he's there and yet he doesn't budge his standards um, he really um, he he really wants us to thrive as humans and there's so there's certain parameters that he puts out there because he knows how it affects us, how it affects society, how it affects the next generation. And I believe that no fault divorce, which became popular, you'll have to correct me. I, I, I'm guessing in the sixties and seventies in Canada. Yeah. Uh, whenever a that bit really later in the, in the, um, actually it was mid eighties. I think it actually became law, but yeah. Was it? Okay. I think so. That has, um, has caused, untold damage and uh you know i my own family my my dad left my mom uh for, not for good reasons and ended up marrying a family friend and you know um unless there is true repentance uh in those areas that just causes damage that goes on and on and so um when we come to christ uh we it takes time, but we go through a process of repentance and it, there can be layers, but we eventually have to deal with those things. If we want to truly be his followers, we can, we can uh, give lip service to him being Lord, but if he is Lord, it means he actually has to be Lord of every aspect of our life. And it's, it's, a, it can be painful, but healing is sometimes a painful journey because there's things that are stuck in us that need to be removed. That's right. And uh, we can we can rely on the Holy Spirit to uh, put his finger on those things in our life if we're serious about following Christ. Well, Jardash, we're gonna um we're going to end this particular segment and then we're gonna come back and do a second session and finish talking about the manuscript. I mean, all we're doing is giving people a bird's eye view, but we're gonna talk about um the ancient Jews and and the um, Sodom's inhabitants and their patterns of misbehavior. And we're going to go through that. So thank you so much. Um, and we'll be back uh, with the second session. 
Thanks for watching, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this time with Dr. Kipiak and that you will um, really search the scriptures and look for his book to be released. It probably will come out sometime in 2024. So remember the title, Jesus and Sodom, Same-Sex Sexuality Through the Messiah's Merciful Eyes. So thank you for joining me. You can find um, further information on Dr. Jordash Kiviak at uh, this site and as well, check out my website at restoringthemosaic.ca. You've been listening to Truth Talks with Dr. Rand. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find Ann's books, blog, and sign up for the newsletter by going to restoringthemosaic.ca.